Welcome to the Australian Macadamia Society podcast. Listen in as we speak with macadamia growers, researchers and industry experts leading the way in best practice macadamia farming. For more information on anything you hear today, please head to our website, australianmacadamias.org industry. Hi, my name is Leonie Coyetin from the Australian Macadamia Society and today we're with Chris Fuller, Plant Protection and Orchard Management Consultant and Grower Liaison Officer. Hi Chris. Leonie, how are you? Good, good. And we're also with Dr. Karina Griffin, uh, the AMS's resident plant pathologist, crop protection and plant health consultant. Hi Lani, how are you going? Good. So today we're talking about integrated pest management, but in particular, we're talking about some of the new monitoring techniques that growers can employ. Um, we've heard a lot about drop sheets and how they can help us in understanding exactly what's in the orchard. So. Chris, first tell us a bit about your background in the macadamia industry and how IPM has evolved in your time. Well, yeah, it's been quite a long journey for me, really. Um, I started back and I, I just joked before, I can't actually remember what exact year it was, but I um, uh, came out of Ag College and got my first job. Luckily walked into it by chance with, with uh, Ian and Jan McConaughey. Um, they had a little nursery up at Woolvoy, which I helped them run, and then uh, started looking further into working further into Ian's business in the management of the orchards he had with his company, Australian Macadamia Management, um, which Tim Salmon was a part of in the early years as well. I, I worked under Tim, which was fantastic. And uh, I started, started my job driving around in my old Ford Laser, uh, looking, looking for bugs back in the early 90s. Yeah. And Karina, you've also been involved in other sides of, of uh, crop protection and some of the evaluation trials mm. um, in looking at efficacy of different um, crop protection options. Yeah, so um, I've been in various roles throughout the industry, mostly research and development focused. Um, so plant health, crop protection, my first job was doing contract trials in the field. Um, so spraying some experimental things, seeing if they work, doing all the reports with your head down, bum up in the air and veggie crops. Um, now I'm in the macadamia industry, it's a lot nicer. You're under trees, you don't have to crouch down, so you get to stand and look at things, so that's great. So Chris, how have you seen uh, integrated pest management, and we're just gonna call it IPM, evolve in macadamias over the last few decades? A big part of IPM, what I see, and a lot of everyone sort of knows what IPM is with integrated pest management and the use of cultural, biological, and chemical controls, which we know are all necessary to grow our crops at the moment. A lot of it is based around monitoring, so it's I would say basically monitoring is is um, the cornerstone of of IPM because it gives us the information to then make our decisions uh, upon. So depending on what we find through our monitoring we can then work out, is it a cultural control, a biological control or chemical control we need to uh, implement? And that can mean a lot of groundwork, a lot of uh, time boots on the ground. And, and like Karina said, it's certainly macadamias are a good crop to do it in because uh, you know, you're in the shade for most of the time unless the trees are young. A mature orchard is not a bad place to be walking around. And Karina, I'm sure you've seen a lot of differences every season, which 
underpins why monitoring is so important. Obviously temperature, humidity, rainfall, all those things have different effects on different pests. In all the crops that I've worked in, you have the core families and they kind of translate across all crops. So, um, but there are a lot of principles that transfer over to macadamias. Yeah, there's similarities and there's also differences as well. So yeah, climate's really important. So Chris, let's get into this new technique that uh, people are talking about in looking at how we can understand exactly what's in the orchard at a specific point in time um, and talk about drop sheets. So it's really not a new technique, is it? No, we've been, it's been around in different uh, forms for, for quite a number of, of years now. I actually got into the industry to help growers reduce their chemical use. I, I came out of, of uni with a good intentions and a bit of a green vibe to me and I thought right I'm gonna I'm gonna help these growers reduce their, their chemical use but we've got to do that with maintaining uh, a good quality crop that comes out the other end so if we can show them ways to reduce their chemical use but keep their product clean I think everyone wins so we put our sheets down in January and February traditionally a lot of the advice said just do a late spray round uh, to cover your butt basically so we decided no that's that's not a good enough reason to do it let's put these sheets down we selected a number half a dozen trees or so through the orchard put down the sheets ran the the spray rig past and then we came back to have a look what was in those trees at that time of year the only thing we dropped down we used a traditional chemical product to do that spraying the only thing we dropped out of the tree that season on those six sheets was a couple of assassin bugs i'm definitely not advocating that there are not pests late in what we call traditionally late in the season doing damage but what I like to do before making a decision is find out what is there and if it is necessary to take steps to manage it. Just pulling the trigger in January or February is not really the right way to go about it. If we drop sheet and find out definitively what's there then make a decision based on what you're seeing. So Chris what are some of the difficulties with pest pressure in the late part of the season? Um, I suppose one of the things we see is traditionally we do know that spotting bug can be doing different things in the season year round. They, it's not just nuts they feed on, we believe that they can be feeding on shoots and other parts of the trees let's say. So the fact that you may have some spotting bug around late in the season um, doesn't automatically mean it's a threshold for spraying. If if it's a certain time of year um, and we believe they're not doing commercial damage and potentially there are also there's a build-up of good guys beneficial predatory bugs you know are we upsetting the balance for the start of next season by doing unnecessary late sprays that's one thing I'm hoping we learn as as, as more people adopt this this technique going forward that we we start to get an idea of what's happening through the off-season and what we see what it means. So Karina, can you tell us about the system in an orchard and how when we do any sort of plant protection um, application, the disruption that that has? Well, if we're talking chemistry-wise, obviously different chemistries have different activities. So there are a lot of products out and coming out that have minimal impact on a lot of the biodiversity in the orchard. So they are very um, target specific for pests. The choice of product really kind of determines what impact you're having on the orchard system in terms of 
if you're killing all the just the bad guys or you're killing the good guys as well. We, I guess, as growers and as people that are looking for pests, for other people, you know, in agronomy positions, um, you're looking for the bad ones, but there is a massive like proportion of what's in there um, that are, they're working for you rather than against you. So they're, they're the good guys. And um, yeah, it's hard not to be focused on the pests and the ones that are causing you damage because they're obviously the most economically you know, detrimental to your system and to your results and to your profitability. But yeah, a really high proportion are actually, yeah, they're just hanging there. They might just be feeding on sap and, you know, nectar and pollen, um, or they're feeding on pests or they're just, yeah, they're using the little home and then they might feed on the ground. You know, there's so many things in there. And Chris, I suppose that's exactly what a drop sheet does. It's a visual representation of what's there and the impact that you're having with that um, application. Yeah, it is. I mean, I touched on, on the use of it for, for looking at late season bugs before, but there's, there's a number of other reasons that I implement drop sheeting. And, and the first one actually starts back at the start of what we, we you know, it's traditionally our spray season. Also, we've done our, let's say we've done our, our, our flower sprays the pests and then we're coming to say perhaps that first hotspot spray round and growers are trying to work out you know are there pests around at this time of year do I need to add an insecticide to that first fungicide round so if we can put a drop sheet down spray a few sample trees and show that yes there is spotting bug there very early in the season this would be probably around you know early October we're getting physical evidence of spotting bug at that time of the year see that is when I would say of using that information to add an insecticide because what we ideally want to do in my mind is keep spotting bug, our biggest pest, out from October right through to February and if you start early it means a hell of a lot less build up through the traditional spotting bug season. So that's another reason I implement drop sheeting and the other one is just as Karina mentioned, if we have a new product come along a lot of the times growers aren't comfortable in jumping straight to a new product, especially if it's a very expensive product. It's been marketed at a particular pest. People generally hold off and wait to see what someone else's experience with it is. If we can put down a drop sheet and use one of these new products, and I've definitely done this, we've dropped out, and it says it's soft on the, uh, the beneficials and the other biota within the trees. We use that product. It knocks down the pest it's registered for and not a lot of other bycatch as we're calling it. What I do then is I can go back a few days later and I hit those same trees with a more traditional product. I do use Bulldog as a bit of a standard, industry standard. So I will go back and I'll hit that same tree with Bulldog and then have a look at what else comes out of the tree. And the first time I did this, when I did the second spray with the, the Bulldog, I didn't bring down any more spotting bug, but I brought down a heap of spiders, praying mantis, a heap of other bycatch. So to me, I did that for a grower who wanted to see the efficacy of this new product. He was very happy with what he saw, and he wanted to implement a softer approach at that time of the season. He, he believed in the, in the benefits of having those beneficials left within the orchard and he went on to use that product for quite a number of years we're still using it. So Chris you talked about um, Bulldog but 
generally what would you use on a representative tree to do a drop sheet test for a larger part of the orchard? So I do try, obviously when I'm doing the drop sheet testing myself, um, I am hand spraying trees. I've got a, a, a backpack sprayer modified with a handgun. Um, I use a natural pyrethrum as, as my knockdown. Um, I came to the conclusion that that has given me a good indication that it will kill the pest. Basically, I'll go to a tree that I know there's spotting bug in or Leptochorus, a new, a new emerging pest it's named, but we know it's been around a while. I physically see them there or see their damage. I use those trees as indicators and I've sprayed them with my, my natural pyrethrum I get from organic crop protectants and I can see the bugs drop on the thing. So I'm comfortable um, that that's given me an indication and then I go from there. The grower can use just whatever product they normally use if they're in their spray rig with their tractor because it saves, um, obviously when I do it by hand, I have to put on all the safety gear, um, overalls, respirator, goggles, the whole thing. And growers don't particularly like to, to, to do that if they don't have to. It's hot, especially if we're trying to do this in, in, in December and January. Uh, you can do it in the spray rig, but you know, realistically, if you're doing it by hand, you're only doing oh, you know, six, eight, 10 trees. It's, it's not that bad. I suppose that would depend, Karina, on the size of your trees. So if you have very tall trees, you could do a one-sided spray. Yeah, yeah. The backpack sprays that we have now, they have pretty good reach, I would say. Yeah, so the one that Chris has got set up, you can get to roughly... 10, ten metres, get, yeah. it's getting up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, any, you know, massive orchards, like the really old plantations, as long as you know that you're getting the coverage, obviously. Coverage is key. That backpack I'm using at the moment, it's putting at about seven litres a minute. So it is actually hosing it on. So I'm basically, uh, it's a 20 litre backpack. I'm getting um, two trees done quite quickly. So I, I, it's not really, uh, the, the spraying of the trees doesn't take long and you can you can get really good coverage. That I'm spraying at around 10 litres a tree. I mean, it, it does go quite quick. It's a 30 bar, quite a powerful backpack. And yeah, it's the time in that probably, the, there's more time in laying out the sheets, but even that with some of the new materials we've got, isn't, uh, isn't a long process. So there's also some intricacies, Chris, in the type of material. So you want something that's light enough that it's easy to take into the orchard, but something heavy enough that's not gonna blow away. So you've done a, a few trials with different um, types of material or different colors. Um, are there some broad principles for sheets? It is. I've tried many different types of material over the years and I used to say, look, let's just do it with um, Bunnings paint drop sheets, uh, which I thought were great at the time. No, they're not that great. <laughs> they, they, they flap about, so you'll pin them down and you want to give that uh, bit of uh, time for the chemical to dry so you're not walking back in there when it's dripping and, like we said, always adhere to re-entry re-times, but you want to get in there reasonably soon after a spray because believe it or not even though you've killed your target pests with insecticide ants will walk on there and carry those things away for, for a fee which is which can then affect your, your data of course um, so the Bunnings drop sheets were great to start with but the chemical would pull in there and it would become a bit of a tricky and they'd also flap around and, and blow off uh, blow off the pests I've tried shade cloth I've tried different colours as you mentioned so I've now um, 
settled on a top of, it's just insect exclusion netting. It is high density with one mil uh, gaps in it. What, it's quite heavy. So what it tends to do is it stays on the ground. I was pegging it down. I find nowadays I don't even need to peg it down. So I can run it out quite quickly. I've cut a keyhole in it, so it's actually one piece. It covers the whole shadow of the, of the tree, let's say, the whole canopy line on the ground. And I can, just in the folding technique I've got, it actually takes me no more than probably two minutes to, to lay it down. Don't even, don't even have to peg it down. And because it's, it's perforated, the chemical flows through it. It's a creamy white colour. It shows up the insects really well when they land on it. So that's what I've settled on um, and I'm finding very effective. And Chris, what's the reaction from growers when they get to visually see what's dropped out of the tree? As we mentioned before, at certain times of year, it's an incredible amount of activity that's there within a tree, an enormous amount of biota. And sometimes when you see the amount of biocule that's coming down uh, under a tree, it's amazing. A lot of times there's insects there that I've got no idea what some of these things are. There's, uh, we, you know, we obviously know our, our target pests and the ones that we know in our guides, the ones we're looking for that are, that are known as, as major pests, but there's other things in there that are, um, yeah, that are obviously doing something. And if we, if we see that we've got a few of our, our target pests are down there, but there is an enormous amount of other activity there. You know, what I want to know going forward is what are they all doing? How does that interaction work within the tree? And this is something James has often brought up, you know, if we drop one spotting bug and a hundred parasitic wasps, where's the balance there? You know, or a hundred, probably more so a hundred spiders, make you cry at times, how many times you see spiders on the drop sheets and praying mantis and these sorts of things. And these are the questions I get a lot from the growers and, and I mean, some of the times I don't, I don't have the answers to what all these things we're looking at are doing, what their interaction, but hopefully as, as drop sheeting becomes more common and more and more people are, are doing it and getting interested in what we're seeing you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get the opportunity to work out these relationships of, of what we're seeing on the on the sheets and Karina that's a probably a limiting factor for drop sheeting is growers entomological knowledge yeah so um, if growers are doing this by themselves which I'm not they can definitely do it if they've got the experience and we know that a lot of the bigger companies are employing their own agronomists and that kind of thing so if you have that entomological knowledge um, but as yeah Chris was saying even if you do have that knowledge there are some things you just look at them you're like well, I don't know what that is it might be in the fly family but I don't know what it's doing so yeah, kind of know, knowing your pests and knowing your good guys, you can, you know, you can know generally what's going to be there and you know what most common, but. And from a cursory look, sometimes things can look like a pest, like a. a that's right. Chris, what? Exactly, that's exactly right, Leonie. I've dropped one, one pest uh, last season, which I'm sure it looked, it looked something like, um, it, you know, it was obviously in a bug family. It looked a bit like a, well, I thought it was initially some sort of spine citrus bug, but through further investigation, turns out it was actually a, a predatory, a spine predatory bug. So these are the interactions, like I said, we, we really need to find out. So some of the, the future for uh, drop sheeting could be the implementation of drones, Karina? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're starting to see commercial operators for drone spraying in macadamia orchard systems. And I think that's going to become more and more common. Um, so far, the feedback that we've been getting from some of the growers and consultants that are giving them a go is very positive. So, 
yeah, drones are definitely going to be coming while they're here, um, but they'll be more and more prevalent. And we're not talking about swarms of drones that are um, applying product to a whole orchard. We're talking about scout drones here. Um, yeah, so you can do hotspot management quite easily. They're all GPS track systems and that kind of thing. Um, they are, there are the commercial operators often have a few and they're just constantly changing over their tanks because obviously the tanks are small and the amount that they can carry. Um, but timing wise, I think they can get to a point where they're almost as quick as sprayers if they get their rotations right and they have pre-mixed stuff ready to go. So Chris, how do you think growers can start to build their confidence in the results from a drop sheet to make an informed orchard decision? Well, I mean, realistically, I think when you are spraying a tree well and you are dropping what you believe is everything out of that tree, I mean, the proof's in the pudding there. We know that some of the traditional monitoring techniques are not working anymore. Let's say, for example, we're trying to monitor, monitor for spotting bug and we're relying on fallen nut as an indicator, which has been used traditionally. We know that as it's getting drier and we're having more dry years, the trees aren't shedding stung nut. Um, as late into the season as they were, and that's becoming less accurate. So for us to actually, the fact that we're not seeing drop stung nut does definitely not mean anymore that spotting bug is not in your tree. So as soon as I think we've got to implement drop sheeting from, oh, I don't know, end of October forward really nowadays to give a more accurate reflection of what's in the trees. The, the other way, and that sort of leads on to another use for the drop sheeting is you can go through, as I uh, described earlier, going through after a spray, say with a new product we mentioned before about seeing if it was uh, effective, you can do the same with your normal spray rounds. If you go through after one of your commercial spray rounds uh, a couple of days later and hand spray a tree really, really heavily and you're dropping pests out still, you know there's probably a problem with your calibration and your coverage. So you can use drop sheeting as a way to make sure that your current spray rounds are uh, effective. And the other thing, let's say also, for example, we're leading into December and we've got dry years now and we've got emerging pests like Leptochorus. So Leptochorus shows up in some areas in some years. It seems to be becoming a bit more widespread. But what we're seeing now as we're doing more drop sheeting is it's actually around in a lot more years than we, we, we think, a lot wetter years than we think. And the reason we need to know if it's showed up at your orchard, say in December, when people will traditionally do a bulldog spray, bulldog is not effective on leptochorus. So if you drop leptochorus on drop sheets in early December, it can change the chemical you need to use for that spray around going forward. And Karina, we've seen growers that have used drop sheets uh, significantly reduce the number of pesticide sprays they've had to do because they're only spraying when there's something there to spray for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And it all comes down to monitoring. As Chris was saying, monitoring is the key to being able to reduce our pesticide use. Um, and that can also be a challenge. We know that there are areas within the macadamia industry where it's really hard to get pest monitors into your farm. And then because of that, growers are having to somewhat revert back to a bit of calendar spraying. So we do have a bit of a skills gap there, um, which is something that we should acknowledge because if you don't have the people with the skills going in there to help you monitor uh, or to help you do drop sheets, 
um, that it's really hard to make informed decisions. But a lot of the chemistry we've got now um, and that is coming out, if you don't put it on when the bug is at a certain part of its life stage, sometimes you won't even kill it and it'll just go on and continue to be in the orchard. So understanding not only that you've got the pest there, but what part of its life cycle it's in is also really important. And that's where it comes down to monitoring as well. And like you're mentioning, a lot of the new chemistry has a, a very tight window for timing. And so it's even more essential for us to, to know that the pest is there. Yes, absolutely. And they are also moving to products with a shorter period of residual activity, which makes them a bit safer for some of your off-target pests, but shorter residual time then means that yeah, you're not getting you know three weeks worth of control out of a product for one pest. So yeah, timing is critical. To round up, we know that Australia has a real good advantage in the global market because of our food safety record, because of our sustainability record, um, and that often gets us a high value and preference in markets. But what do you think is ahead for us in IPM in macadamias, Chris? I really like the idea and I don't think the macadamias are a particularly high spray industry now. And if we can pull that back, even, even remove one or two rounds from our current spray um, program, I think we, we, we really can promote ourselves strongly as a, as a, as a, you know, a, green, a green industry. Um, so hopefully we'll be investigating more um, biologicals, which we might find through drop sheeting. We might identify pests there and work out what they're doing. We implement um, robotic um, identification of insects. We spray with drones um, to replace the feed on the ground that, that's required because it is a big and developing industry. And like we said, we ideally we need data. So you need data collected through feed on the ground because without that, people have to make broad broad recommendations. Well, thanks so much for your, your time today. Uh, you both are, are great examples of two people that are trying to find new innovative ways that we can deliver our crop to our consumer in a way that really is being good stewards of the land that we have. Um, so thank you so much for your time. It's okay, thanks no problem. So. Thanks, Leah. You've been listening to the Australian Macadamia Society podcast. For more information on anything you heard today, please head to our website, australiamacadamias.org/industry, or phone the AMS on 1800 262 426.